0: Please turn to page 87 of the Instruction Booklet.
1: if you if you hear it i'll try and not you know drinking noises but
2: yeah no that's fine i've got my uh, my
1: pepsi and my camelback with me
2: sorry right.
0: nice.
2: so welcome to the first episode or zero episode early access of the instruction booklet uh a game where we occasionally talk about video game history uh i am your chat gpt created host uh, Jeremy, and I am uh, joined by my co-host, a man who believes that the best way to eat ramen is uh, hot and boiling with your bare hands. Uh, and that is Pons. What's up, Pons?
1: That is true. My my hands are still recovering. Um, just got them all bandaged up right here. But um, hi, I am a slightly less uh, ChatGPT-developed uh, co-host. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm currently actually a PhD in English Literary Studies. Um, And more recently, I've been kind of working on stuff related to video games, playing video games, reading video games, treating video games as literary texts. Um, And so alongside Jeremy here, uh, I've been interested in just looking into video game history and and just thinking about the development of of the medium and all, all the weird things that have happened along the way. Yeah, that's kind of like what how this project kind of
2: started was. Uh, I'm on, so obviously, just y'all know, I'm on for those folks that are listening on like the the channel or whatever. I'm on Cajun greatness, and this uh, kind of spawned into I wanted to do something fun. And I've been talking with Michael here about like video game stuff. And I, as someone who has been playing games since as early as I can remember, from everything from the NES to even playing some Commodore games and Atari games up to today's standards, I've got a lot of experience playing games, and uh, I. I find a lot of video game history interesting, so that's kind of uh, yeah. where we approach this from. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, why you should, uh, you know, definitely be listening to it if you do. You know, this is an early access episode, so if we don't get enough money, we'll uh, we'll just go to like the
1: Cayman Islands or something, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I'll, if- I'll say too, um, you know, just as far as you know, perspectives are concerned as video game players it's interesting for me because i'm younger than i think uh, you are yes. and younger than perhaps a lot of people who will have direct memories of like a lot of the retro video game consoles and stuff like that like i think my first console growing up was actually the nintendo 64. oh wow no um, i did have you know an original game boy i did have a game boy color um but it's because you know a lot of a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about and or older stuff like pre-2000 ish mm-hmm. um, is stuff that i've kind of learned secondhand either from watching youtube videos or doing um, scholarly research so it is interesting kind of approaching it from this perspective of i haven't played it but i've played video games and i've read about this thing you know right and
2: i, I uh, i've done a lot of like reading and also I like i do a lot of i just see I, I read a lot of books and stuff like that on video game history i uh there's like a fun series that i read called like uh, boss fight books that talk about like developments mm-hmm. that that are really fun. And then just, uh, just the, the overall like scope of how games started, which is hopefully what we're going to try and cover. Um, I guess, you know, the kind of the projected plan of how the show is going to go is, uh, every, uh, like episode we're going to either be we're gonna do like one of two episodes. we'll either have an episode where we actually legitimately talk about like history. Uh, our plan is to start from the beginnings and like the 40s of like the development of like the rotoscopes and moving forward to uh, up to now. and then we might do some genres, but we're gonna do it like every other episode and then we're gonna have episodes where we just kind of talk about random topics kind of like uh, like this episode will be because we don't want to go crazy and uh, reading a lot of stuff takes a lot of time. Um, uh, so like with April approaching, uh, we're going to do, uh, our episode today, episode zero is about Easter eggs as Easter eggs coming. So, uh, so yeah, um, like video game Easter eggs and how they were introduced and where they started and some of our favorites as well as just some wacky and weird ones along the ways. So I guess, uh, the best way to talk about it is well, what is an Easter egg? So... I guess, Michael, you've done a lot more research into Easter eggs recently than I have, so so what would be a good definition of what is an Easter egg?
1: That's a good question. Uh, it's probably a definition I should have offhand. I think um, in my reading, something that I would propose is kind of just like a generic definition of an Easter egg um, is a thing hidden in a game, intentionally hidden in a game by a developer um, that is only accessed through kind of like an obscure series of actions, something that has to be tangential to the main story of the game, right? An Easter egg can't be part of the main thing. You have to actually kind of go out of your way and recognize patterns um, or do a series of things that seems, you know, pointless at first in order to find some secret that is not connected to the main story, usually. Right. Um, Though I'm sure, Mm -hmm. right, people listening are probably already thinking of a counterexample that disproves the rule. Um, though I think generally this is something that will kind of work as an ex- explanation of what an easter egg is. Yeah, yeah,
2: something that, something is in the game that the developer intentionally put. Uh, I, I guess a good example that I use, because uh, on on my Facebook I asked people to give me examples of easter eggs and I had to define it for somebody, is something that's hidden, that can be found with inside the game, or something that's like, kind of like, not a part of the main game is like a good idea, it's like an Easter egg. Um, you know, and so obviously this this brings us to, you know, the the, the first time the term was used, the the hot the, the fun hot button topic that uh that you like is a uh, you know coined in the seventies, late seventies, uh by the director of software development of Atari to describe the hidden message in Atari's video game adventure, which I'm sure a ton of people know about because I'm sure a lot of people either read and or watch the movie Ready Player One. Um, But as time has gone on, and as you've told me plenty of times, it seems as though uh, that might not be the first Easter egg. It might just be the first instance of the word used,
1: correct? Yeah. I think it would be more correct to say in retrospect um, that you know Warren Robinett's Easter egg and adventure is the first i don't know discovered by players yeah. the first ever discovered easter egg um the first easter egg actually described as an easter egg mm-hmm. um but i think you know and and per this kind of theme of video game history um something that i'll say just kind of briefly is that you would think with how young video games are relatively speaking i mean you know the first video game probably is somewhere in the 60s um maybe the 50s but yeah you would think that we would be better at having um recorded these things over the past couple of decades um the the fact of the matter is that it's actually much more complicated and you have a lot of early history things kind of coming out of um fan publications, magazines, enthusiasts in the genre, not necessarily... Right, because... And so,
2: um... Someone doesn't have time to actually, like, sit down and just hop on every Atari game and dig around
1: for uh, an Easter egg. Someone who's not interested in contesting... You know major claims right right and so when War, when War, warren robinet for 25 years um, is heralded as the man who invented the easter egg not too many people are interested in saying actually you know maybe there is someone before him who did it first they just say okay warren robinet made the first easter egg adventure 1979 right um and that gets sort of culturally just kind of repeated right you yeah. end up with ready player one which is very recent um, yeah, the last few years. The yeah. Um, and that book repeats this idea that the Easter egg is an invention of Warren Robinette. Um, I mean, if you just go on YouTube, even, and you type in first video game Easter egg, I mean, it's probably like a
2: first, a top hit or something yeah. that's up there.
1: Well, if it, you know, like. Six years ago, you know, from the Great Big Story YouTube channel, the first gaming Easter egg. It's a uh, video with 1.3 million views from six years ago, and I watched it yesterday. And it's about adventure. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, one of the one of the crazy things, right? And this is kind of, I guess, where all the buildup is leading, is that if you didn't know, uh, there are tons of Easter eggs in video games from before 1979.
2: Yeah, um, I I think I've even got written in our show notes about like Moonlander having a McDonald's and yeah. it's 1973
1: or yeah I'm not it, quite sure when that one was discovered but I think that's the earliest that we know of you know it's yeah. this old game Moonlander where if you go far enough right and you just keep panning screen after screen eventually you'll actually find the McDonald's on the moon that you can hilariously crash into and destroy. Yeah, that's, you know, um, no, nothing like taking down a McDonald's. Yeah. But um, in 2004, right? So 2004, before Ready Player One, mm-hmm. um, before this aforementioned YouTube video from Great Big Story, um, 2004, somebody who was revisiting an old video game console, it's kind of a failed console, uh, the Fairchild Channel F video entertainment system. Yeah. Uh, which, you know we'll go back to in a later episode i'm sure um this game called video whizball by bradley raid self um from a whole a whole year before adventure right 1978 Mm -hmm. he had basically done the same thing he had encoded his name a signature a digital signature you could say into a hidden room of the game that required a very obscure set of steps in order to reach but it would be wrong also to say okay well if it's not robinette then we just got to find you know the real person and then you know praise them for being the person who made it i think raid self in an interview talked about how he did this because there were rumors of developers over at atari doing similar things in their own games and so yeah. then you kind of have this problem of, well, you know, was Robin working on Adventure at the time? And there were rumors about what he was doing that Raid South heard, and then he just finished his game first.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think it would really have to determine, like... Well, you I know mean, like, development time back then was completely different. Yeah. Like, uh, as to where now, like, you know, we hear, like, studios working on games, like, for years on end. We don't yeah. know how long it took someone to develop, you know, Video Whizball or Adventure on... On the atari system because it was probably yeah. all built in like giant computers that you know eat up entire rooms so yeah yep. there's got to so be I, I th- there's got to be something there that's like a, well, was this guy working on this at the same time did these people know each other kind of stuff yeah
1: at the end of the day i think the quest for the originator of the easter egg is something that may just be i don't know lost due to the the accessibility problem of older video games right you know it it would be very hard for me i'm sure i could do it right but if i wanted to find a magnavox odyssey to go back and play all of those games it's not something i can't just go to gamestop and buy a magnavox odyssey right right (laughs) um And there are are a lot of early video game consoles like the Fairchild Channel Fidu Entertainment System that had a lot of games that are just not being reproduced and they're not accessible. And so there's always going to be this question of, you know, was there a a video game from 72 that was on a you know defunct arcade box that maybe had an Easter egg that just nobody knows about? It's it's like it's a rabbit hole that you're really never going to find the bottom of if you really want to be skeptical about it right so i choose i choose to just say well this is the history of the easter egg and uh celebrate the fact that it's kind of this weird thing that video games can do um it's cool yeah, yeah like
2: easter eggs kind of are like they're fun in the sense that like you know like it's, uh, it's kind of like the joys that I talk about, like uh, the, the days that predate, you know, the access to the Internet of like telling your friends about finding this cool thing in a game. Or mm-hmm. um, a good example would be uh, how in, you know, the first issue of Nintendo Power, they just talked about the Konami code, which was just a debug setting that was, you know, it, it's it's like word of mouth that kind of spreads like that. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. like you are talking about, like going and finding old systems. We, you know, and hopefully, like, we'll cover it up too. You know, when you had the crash in the 80s, like, there's tons of these, like, systems and even games themselves that were made for these systems that are just lost to time. Not to mention, how long does those circuit boards last until, you know, we can't use them anymore and these games are kind of there? Which, you know, that's kind of like the whole idea of like chronicling like video game history, which is like, you know, something that we kind of want to do here is like, You know, talk about these things. We're putting them out here for folks to listen to, and you know, somebody out there's gonna, you know, hear it and think. Hopefully, oh, that's kind of cool, and you know, maybe go look into more stuff like that. Um, Yeah. And you get you also get like situations where like you know we're talking about like how Ready Player One like got the adventure thing out there, but you also think you know was it the Ready Player One book was included in like one of the first loot box drop like things that came out? I think because that's uh, my roommate at the time had it, and he loaned the book to me it's like suddenly you have like this widespread spread of like pop culture knowledge where people just default to this thing they find mm-hmm. instead of like where you have these like you know moon landers and whiz ball video whiz balls that are like just kind of out there somewhere like i'm sure yeah. there's You know, hopefully within the next uh, episodes we'll talk about some of the earlier video games and like you know the debate over what was really the first video game and yeah we'll never know if there was an Easter egg in those because I fear either people didn't even think about it or
1: not so um, yeah I I think um, one last thing that I'll kind of say about this is that Robinette's legacy this is not this is not to say that all of a sudden everyone should be just like. I don't know, hating all the adventure story, right? Obviously the stakes of this discussion oh, yeah. uh, are debatable, right? As far as like, no, this person really made the first Easter egg. Um, but, but a lot of this legacy that Robin has earned is driven by kind of corporate interests by Atari, which is something that you mentioned as far as the person who coined the Easter egg is concerned.
2: Right, because this is like the, the director of software at Atari was like, oh, oh, there's this thing in this game. Like we need yeah. to do something about it. I'm sure Robinette's probably like, Oh, know, I, I, okay, cool. <laughs>
1: there, there was a, a very interesting publication actually in electronic games. Um, they had this section basically talking about how, um, Well, I'll just read part of it. It says, sources at Atari have confirmed one of Arcading's most persistent wild stories. If a gamer sends the hero to a certain room in the VCS adventure and performs a specific action, a secret message revealing the designer's name will appear on the screen. Many had scoffed at the notion, citing the fact that Atari doesn't credit designers, but it turns out to be true. Although the programmer in question didn't see fit to let his employer in on the joke, Atari is evidently taking the whole thing with good grace. In fact, it gave Steve Wright an idea for the future. From now on, he told EG in an exclusive interview, we're going to plant little Easter eggs like that in the games. Eventually, we may have a real treasure hunt with, a treasure hunt with, with the clues hidden in various game cartridges. Um, So what's interesting about that statement, right? And I guess this just raises concerns too about, um, giving proper credit to the developers like the actual people who work on the games the reason that robin among others put his name in the game in the first place was because this was kind of during an era in which video game developers were not properly accredited for the work that they did on video games yeah um
2: they didn't want people to knowing either because yeah. they were they afraid somebody else might hire them away
1: uh you bought a game like adventure and it was just, it was an Atari game, right? It wasn't a Warren Robinet game. It was an Atari game. And uh, the, the article that I sort of pulled this quote from, uh, the guy talks about the most interesting part about that little kind of snippet is that Robinet isn't even named. Yeah. I like just Atari, said a developer. <laughs> yeah, Atari literally just takes the whole thing and pushes Warren at, uh, Warren Robin out of the um the frame for a second basically as to say, yeah, easter eggs are this cool thing that Atari is going to do from now on. You know, you better buy those cartridges and look for those secrets. Um so, you know, that's I think one of the reasons why also people remember this adventure one so so strongly is because Atari really started hyping up this idea of the easter egg like it really became part of the public discussion and part of their marketing campaign oh yeah that's that's
2: an excellent way to sell games it's like oh we have the game that like has this cool super secret thing hidden in it. it it's funny that you think about you talk about like the developers thing it makes me think about like when i was younger like playing on the, like the NES and stuff like that and like beating a game and just having to watch all of the credits of all the people who made it and being like, can we please get through this? And nowadays it's like, no, that's that was kind of like a novel idea after a while because developers didn't get the credit for creating these games. So these early Easter eggs were like ways for them to say like, hey, I, I worked on this game.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: You know, and toward now, now Easter eggs are a little bit more intentional versus, you know, We have this nebulous period in the early days of video games where there could be something that, you know, allowed a developer to, you know, kind of put their brand or their mark on the game to help like signify that, hey, I worked on it. Even, you know, they may not get actual recognition for it by Mm -hmm. whoever was publishing it or developing it because, you know, there's not credits, you know. I can I see it from a standpoint of, like, you know, people who work on a movie get their name put on, like, movie credits. Why don't I get my name put on, you know, this? And, uh, yep. so, you know, that, that'll be something for the future of the thing for as well as, you know, we dive into a debate of, you know, video games and entertainment because they're so kind of, like, tightly intertwined.
1: Yep. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um... Do you want to go ahead and just start talking about, I guess, some of our favorite examples of Easter eggs from video games?
2: Sure. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's funny you talked about the Atari article because
2: when you said the part about the treasure hunt, my brain immediately went to the one that I wrote down, which was the, the Banjo-Kazooie thing, uh, the stop and swoop. Uh, did you ever play that one or, or um, see that one?
1: I did I don't I didn't find the Easter egg
2: okay so you know Rareware uh, made Banjo-Kazooie Banjo-Tooie um inside of this this N64 game there are quite literally Easter eggs like eggs that are hidden in the game and you collect all five eggs and you I think it was all five eggs there was a key a frozen key you have to collect um and yeah so there was a cyan a pink a blue a green and a red and a yellow mystery egg and there was a ice key that you had to collect So originally, Rare's intention was to place these in the game and for when they made their eventual sequel to Banjo-Kazooie, you would literally take the game cartridge out and then put Banjo-Tooie cartridge in while the console was still on for it to unlock some kind of secret hidden thing. Hmm. And of course that never panned out because the limitations of the N64 at the time, but they did eventually pay it off to where you could find, uh, the key, the, and the extra missing, uh, eggs that were not in first banjo Kazooie to get to like an extra, like secret area of the game. So it's like, it's interesting that you talk about like Atari's being like, Oh, there's a treasure hunt. And it's like, it's like, Oh, well, you know, like, I wonder if rare like saw that and was like, Oh, this would be kind of a, you know, an interesting idea, so...
0: Yeah,
1: that is a crazy idea. I mean, it's almost like an early attempt at, at doing, you know, the thing that RPG trilogies do, where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you can upload your save data from the earlier game, and it'll affect, you know, like a Mass Effect or a Witcher, you know, this idea that you have to have both games in order yeah. to get access to things in the later games that you might not be able to without the first one, which and is interesting. Rare was, Rare's
2: always been doing, like kind of really neat and weird things inside like easter eggs when they were in their hate when they're like in their early days like uh I, the other thing that i you know another one that they've done was the donkey kong country 2 thing was there was this big hall of video game stuff and it had like uh if, it determined like how many number of dk coins you could collect throughout the game and it was had mario link And I can't remember who the third person was. Uh, Oh, Yoshi. And so but that wasn't like the fun, like everybody's like, oh, yeah, a bunch of Nintendo characters. But the fun little like pokey Easter egg thing that I loved about it is there is a trash can sitting on the floor uh, that says, uh, like, I think it's no hoppers and it's got Sonic shoes uh, laying next to it. So, you know, and, and this was like rare, kind of like poking at the whole console wars thing and uh not to mention earthworm jim's gun was laying there as well so it's like it was almost like rare was kind of insulting sega at the time wow nice so you know it's like funny stories kind of like that they're like you know and rare always was really tongue-in-cheek because i mean conqueror's bad Day is littered with stuff <laughs> it was mostly like pop culture references and stuff like that so but uh are there any of them that uh, you think of that you that really stand out to you that you enjoyed
1: um the one that comes to mind most readily right now um and maybe this is an example that's already going to stress test the definition that i provided earlier but um i'm sure maybe you have i certainly have many others probably have been keeping up with the last of us on hbo it just uh, finished its first season yeah uh
2: I, I've heard a great thing. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. It is my goal to eventually play the game first
1: and then watch the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I won't say anything, I guess, spoiler related as no, far it's as the story is concerned. Yeah. Um, but there is a particular moment that fans of the game and the show will remember um, where they come to a baseball field. It, it's the moment where they encounter a giraffe in the game. Mm. Um, and amusingly, the one of the game developers, I think Peter Field was his name. I'm trying to pull up the tweet, but my computer is being slow. Um, yeah. Field named the baseball field um, in the game after uh-huh. his wife. Okay. Um, and so in the game, it just says Bethany Claire Field on the scoreboard at this baseball field. Yeah. Um, and amusingly enough, this thing this easter egg if you want to call it that makes its way into the tv show uh, when you get to this part in the tv show it shows you the baseball field and you know right there you actually see the sign that says bethany Clark Field. um and i think the developer was very amused by this because it's just like a funny and silly little throwaway thing that he did that somehow ended up being in a massive you know hbo yeah huge hit that's like huge hit yeah. getting
2: tons of praise uh, and yeah random video game easter egg in actual live television right a
1: perhaps that raises you know like a question too about you know I, I offered this kind of explanation of an easter egg as something that you have to go out of your way to find and in yeah. this case I suppose it isn't um, though it is a reference to something um, we would call like non-diegetic right uh, yeah, an in in-game reference to something outside of the game, uh, in the quote-unquote real world. So, yeah,
2: yeah. There's, like, that could be there's another, yeah. well. I mean, like even like with the one the examples that I was talking about, with, like with like Donkey Kong Country, they're blatantly referencing another competitor in a game for no reason whatsoever, other than to just be like poking fun at somebody, you know, yeah. or um, like the same thing with like you know, Conker's Bad Fur Day uses like pop culture references everywhere from, you know, the matrix to alien to all this other stuff. Uh, You know, I think, yeah, the final boss of the game is, is the alien from aliens. Yeah. Like the Xenomorph. So you have, you have fun little things like that. Uh, Early Easter eggs were kind of, I think, I think it's interesting. Like how, I guess more like our definition of Easter eggs have probably changed as the years have gone on. Cause like, you know, um, you know, like the, 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 some of the the other ones that I have like, are like, you know, the I am error joke from Zelda two, uh, there's like a random person in a town who their name is quite literally error. And when you speak to them, they say, I am error, but they're actually a part of the whole quest line. And they have a twin that is the same sprite model, who is supposed to be, like, it's spelt differently, but the original intention was it to be, like, uh, error and bug, Uh, but they didn't, when it translated over to, uh, when the English translation happened, they left bug as the actual name that it was written as in Jap- Japanese which is like Bagu or something which means like it means software bug so the this was more like an inside joke between the two like the, the developer saying like oh, I made this thing called error and bug in the game and they're actually a part of like a, a quest line where like someone tells you to go talk to this character so you know sometimes you can have like little weird things like that or uh yep. Like, in A Link to the Past, you had the Chris uh, Hooligan Room, which was, like, a contest that Nintendo ran. And some, the person that won it, they named a room for them. Well, unfortunately, like, the game, how the game worked was this room was created as, like, a failsafe for a state that, if the game kind of, like, cry or, like, if it couldn't find a room, it would create this room and this person's name would be in it. Um... I can't remember exactly like what it uh but it was like a secret room and it was done for like someone who ran who won a competition in nintendo power like nintendo just put their name in this game but you had to like there's like a secret way to find it yeah you had to break the game to find it yeah, yeah you, almost, you almost have to like break the game to discover the story but it's kind of like um uh like i guess would, would you consider like some of the weird stuff and like like did you ever play world of warcraft yeah, absolutely so like some of the weird stuff in original like vanilla world of warcraft like the the air for the iron forge airport the air Force, or yeah. there was a there was a war room i think in ogre uh there's the village of dancing trolls that like these were like set pieces that were there when you would fly that were never intentionally originally meant to get to and people would find like gaps in the walls to discover them or
1: uh, like old high Hy- mount hygel or like dev rooms yeah um, and then, you know, when, when Cataclysm came around and people got flying mountains, <laughs> yeah. you know, overworld after they actually yeah. had to do something with these places and make them, you know, fully rendered and, and interactable. Yeah. So that's, like, kind of a
2: weird area that, like, you think about, like, with, like, some Easter egg kind of stuff. Is like, sometimes it might not be stuff that's developer-intentional. It's just, like, things that the players find that are, like, weird things or, like, something yeah. that got left over from early development of the game that they couldn't take out
1: yeah um well i think that maybe also raises questions about you know i mean you mentioned the konami code mm -hmm. um my brain immediately went to you know when i was younger um and maybe this will you know date myself a little bit but i remember playing oblivion i think when i was in middle school um and discovering the dev console yeah and, like, you know, just immediately going on the internet to find what all of the cool, you know, things I could do with the dev console were. And I don't know if you ever did this, but there's a um, Bethesda, they like to put test halls in their video games. Yeah. Um, you can type in like COC test hall or something like that uh, in Oblivion. I don't remember the specific code, but it takes you to uh, a developer only area that you know allows you to do things like spawn items in spawn enemies in um very interestingly in the oblivion test hall um you can go into a door that actually takes you to a small village in which you can go into a building and you can find a character who is actually voiced by um my gosh what's his name was it? Was it Patrick Stewart? Was in Oblivion? No. Um, oh. Gosh, the guy, the developer, the lead developer. For Bethesda, oh. His name? Um. Gosh, See, it just works, guys. Oh, our
2: uh, Our editor's gonna kick kick, kick our butts because he, know, he's a huge he's a huge like
1: Elder Scrolls fan. <laughs> Todd Howard. Todd Howard, okay. Your brain kept wanting to say Todd McFarlane because I was talking to somebody <laughs> about Spawn. Oh, God. Oh no, Todd Howard. Um, and it's just so funny because, like, I had no idea as a kid that this was Todd Howard, and he's, like, sitting there um, mimicking all of the different emotions. Like, he's saying, like, now I'm angry. This is how an angry character is supposed to sound. Like, giving cues to the voice actors. Well, that's kind of cool. Um And it's just so weird i mean it's like this bizarre little thing that you can find and it's like again is that an easter egg probably not but it's like it's a cool funny thing i mean bethesda i don't know you know how much they cared about how easily accessible their dev console is i mean on pc you literally just press one button and it comes up
2: yeah well that's like um like, like staying with elder scrolls it's like the the one easter egg that i got from somebody uh, one of the easter eggs that i got from somebody was uh, the elder scrolls one, the macaque the liar the the khaji My, yeah. Yeah. yeah how he's apparently in every single one of them and he's always telling like truths about the game mm-hmm. Uh, apparently he even made his way into the Elder Scrolls online now. Oh, nice. Uh yeah, I was uh, uh, the I read a lot about him. I even watched like a lot of the videos where he's talking and you know it's it's, it's standard Kijik stuff but you know showed up in morwen and then worked his way into Oblivion in Skyrim and now he's actually online and uh but he likes to share opinions about a variety of things but generally it's stuff that's true. Like truths about the world. yeah Um so you know that's like a fun little Easter egg. Good. Uh I guess the other big I guess is it a Easter egg or is it not um that mm-hmm. we can talk about would be um anything <laughs> involving Metal Gear Solid. I like how I just wrote like probably just talk about Kojima in our notes because he does some of the weirdest shit in his games. Yeah. From and in other games that
1: are not his own.
2: Yeah, from like you know even though it's not an easter egg but like you know the psychomantis fight being him reading your memory card and like yeah. commenting about all these games to i think metal gear solid 3 had a had a Ape escape mini game in it
0: hmm.
2: um and uh, there was uh those games are just I mean,
1: anything that he touches is usually just straight up silly yeah just dripping in self-referential yeah. irony you know i mean like how many times are certain lines repeated you know like you know kept you waiting huh yeah um, i mean metal gear it's just you know, are those easter eggs i don't know is is can you can you be a reference can you have a self-referencing easter egg yeah it, maybe can you reference yourself
2: in a game to other games? And like, you know, like he's, you know, like I think you wrote like he's even in cyberpunk. <laughs>
1: like he's, he's just, in cyberpunk. Yeah. You can find him in that hotel during that, uh, the heist with Jackie early on in the game. Uh, yeah. he's just hanging out yeah, yeah, he's, in one of the bars. I was like, Oh look, and he, he's
2: like, eventually like, we're gonna have to have a whole episode just about him because the man is very interesting and weird. Yeah. Um, but like you know what's even what's even crazier is like you know we we live in the era now where like remakes and remasters are becoming a thing like do some companies just like keep those easter eggs when you're remaking them you know and like a good point yep. that I was writing out the stuff and I was like you know Blue Point Games has now done has like knocked it out of the park twice with they've done Shadow of the Colossus and they did the Demon Souls remake and in yep. both of those games they added stuff to those games that were Easter that were hidden secrets and easter eggs that were to make like blue points, like thing I think there's like a door and demon souls that you can never
1: open yeah I think so and I think at the remake it gives you the penetrator's armor if mm-hmm. I remember correctly and yeah. then I, I can't remember what it was for shadow of the classes um, there's I a think... bunch of items that you have to collect like little I think small like glowing orbs or gems that kind of show up throughout the world and if you find all of them it takes you to a secret door that you can open yeah um Um, the interesting thing about the shadow of the colossus remake specifically in that easter egg is that it also it seems to be uh, i can't say this for certain right but i know a lot of people think that bluepoint's addition of that easter egg to the shadow of the colossus remake is in response to the almost decade-long i think quest for uh, an Easter egg in the original Shadow of the Colossus that turned out to just not be real. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know the story. I've seen a couple of articles about it. I think Eurogamer has one. There's a couple of YouTube videos that I've seen about it. Um, but, you know, Shadow of the Colossus is a game that is... Part of it's, its its aesthetic is that it's just dripping in mystery. Right. You're exploring this the ruins of this ancient civilization and there's not much information that you have it's very kind of just like you don't know a lot about the world all you know is that you're on a quest to save this person and you have to kill these big things cool <laughs> it is a game that also has a lot of secrets um the biggest of which was <clears throat> there is a, uh, a hidden garden um the secret garden is what it's called which is basically uh, a massive area that you can actually access um, through a very difficult sort of climbing sequence in one of the uh, game's ruined areas. Mm-hmm. This basically led to people treating it, you know, as many people treat contemporary Souls games, you know? The, whoever found that crazy, you know, you have to hit the wall 50 times down Elden Ring to get through it. That's yeah. probably a bug, but that was the funniest thing ever when I heard the story about it. Anyway people started thinking okay shadow of the colossus has secrets um we got to find all of them yeah and this resulted i think in a a very interesting almost conspiracy theory like endeavor where people started finding bits and pieces of ruins that had very intentional seeming designs on them Uh you know hieroglyphs geometrical sequences um things that they believed would allow them to open a locked door that actually i think appeared before the game's 11th colossus okay um and basically i think it's on like reddit forums is where a lot of this happened a lot of people were actively sort of just like going back and forth with each other um Trying to connect the dots. This went on for almost a decade before finally someone was able to actually enter, um, like a hacked version of the game that allowed them to just kind of clip through all the walls and fly around, mm-hmm. uh, which ultimately kind of put the whole thing to bed.
0: As yeah. far as just like,
1: there is no secret. You all have been wasting 10 years <laughs> of your life. Um, no. Trying, yeah, connecting dots that you put there, basically, or that you believed were there. Um, and I think some people speculate that Bluepoint did this Easter egg as a way of just saying, like, no, wait, come back, everyone. We'll make a remake, <laughs> and we will actually have one final massive secret that you can find. Yeah, we'll, we'll totally um, put that room in there. Yeah, and and so this has to be probably, like, my favorite story of, you know, a not Easter egg, like an Easter egg that wasn't actually an Easter egg yeah it's it's interesting because i guess it it
2: falls in that category of like how we were talking about like you know before the internet and stuff just gets like widespread everywhere like people just had to talk about it or like just speculate on everything to make sure that like oh did that one thing mean that thing or was this this really a secret
1: or um i i really doubt that without the egging on of people on the internet that somebody would have spent you know a decade of their own life just playing shadow of the <laughs>
2: yeah just combing the game over that that reminds me a lot of um i, I only knew this because like of uh the old uh, game faqs uh but uh one of the first rpgs i really remember playing as a uh, like a kid was on super nintendo i had final fantasy 3 which is you know final Fantasy 6 and all that nonsense well mm-hmm. in the final boss fight if you have a certain sword in your inventory It's like you get a point where there's like an Esper or a summon that you can choose to make it a a summon or a weapon and you can pick it up. Uh, And if you take the sword and you can upgrade the sword like multiple times, if you throw this like crazy, rare, unique sword at the final boss, instead of popping up damage, it'll just say too much to count. Hmm. And I'm just like... How long did it take someone to figure out? Like sitting there playing this game, like, what, what if I just throw this like ridiculously powerful sword at this this final boss? Like, what wh- what will it do? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's interesting how people discover Easter eggs like that. Like, um, I guess like that that leads like to the other one that like. With with everybody's favorite reptile from the original Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. uh, and how that you had to do the most absurdly crazy stuff just to get him to just just to fight him. You didn't even get to unlock him. Like it's it's crazy to me, like how Mortal Kombat like developers did that. And the, what's even funnier is, is how far that they've gone with their Easter eggs as a whole. Uh for like so like apparently while you're while playing Mortal Kombat 1, this random green palette swap ninja would show up with like tons of like little hints, and they were just like really bizarre, and you had to like piece it together. So eventually you had to, while on the pit stage, when a shadow flies in front of the moon, you can't hold block and you have to get a double flawless victory with a fatality that is not the uppercut into the pit to fight reptile who had the powers of both scorpion and sub-zero and in fact his name title on his title bar just said scorpion
1: interesting
2: yeah and you didn't even get to unlock him <laughs> this That's being bizarre. a character who you don't get to play until Mortal combat 2 uh
1: <laughs> i find it so weird that it has to be specifically on the pit but yeah. the, the fatality that you have to do is decidedly not the one that the stage Allows you to do, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's the required stage. That's interesting. Well,
2: what's even crazier is getting a double flawless victory while not using block in Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Like, game AI back then was like not fair. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you anyway, know, and Mortal Kombat goes on to do like other funny stuff. Like in Mortal Kombat Two, in like the forest level, you would see like characters poking out behind trees, and that included like smoke. Uh, noob cybot uh and then there was a burning guy on like a bridge in the far background who wouldn't become who would become the final boss of like mortal kombat armageddon so it's so funny to me that like mortal kombat developers back then would be like hey remember that random thing we threw in the background there let's make it a character (laughs) so it's almost like they were very tongue-in-cheek with some of that stuff um But then, you know, you you think about some of the other like, like fun like little Easter eggs. Like for like for me, like there was the unlocking the cow level in Diablo two. Yeah. Uh, just giant hell bovine walking around saying moo all the time. Yeah, the cow level is a good one. Yeah, so it's Um, it's so funny finding like weird stuff like that.
1: something that comes to mind with regard to Mortal Kombat, too, is just the character of Noob Saibot. Yeah. Um, You know, just being uh, Tobias Boone in reverse. Uh You know, like the uh, Ed Boone and John Tobias, you know, who created the the series. um, And how he was like an ultimate character that you had to find. I'm not sure what the specific steps were, actually, but in Mortal Kombat 3.
2: uh, Oh, yeah. That's what... There was there was so many, like, crazy things inside World combat I think there was a... Um, I don't think it... It might have been three that had uh, a hidden mini game in it. One of them had a Mortal Kart Bat hidden mode inside of it. And it's... So, like, I guess that, like... I, I guess that could lead us into, like, something something interesting. It's talking about, like, how, like, like cheat codes are... Yeah. Like, some of them... Like, uh, a good example for me to think about is, like uh forever like for the longest time like so golden 64 was like uh, a big game and like you know you could only unlock all of the like secret things by finishing the level in the fastest time possible Mm -hmm. and it took like years and eventually the cheat codes got revealed for that game and it was like a huge deal Mm -hmm. so it's like you know cheat codes were more like developer console stuff but like sometimes people would figure stuff out like that you know and it's it's reached the point you know like even going back to the Konami code where the Konami code has become like a reference among itself mm-hmm. like even non-Konami developers would put references to the Konami code and stuff uh, like even to the yeah. point that apparently it has showed up on like, like Facebook and Google like putting it in does stuff
1: that's interesting I didn't know that
2: yeah, Uh even uh, Canada's, uh like, currency website has the Konami code built into it. Nice. So it's like, you know, eventually something that was kind of, uh, oh, uh, we kind of left this developer code in, has become something
1: that's moved into Easter egg territory. Yeah. I remember, I mean, uh, before I knew it was the Konami code, I remember playing... Um, I think two games that come to mind that I remember the code working in were, um, I think the original Star Wars Battlefront 2. hmm Um, I don't remember what it did, though. And, um, the Lord of the Rings Return of the King video game, specifically. I think specifically Return of the King. Um, again, it did something, and I don't remember what, um, probably, I think it made your character invincible, I'm not sure yeah um there
2: was one i need to look it up real quick i can't remember what it was but there was a yeah uh okay so in the first Rose squadron game you could unlock a buick interesting (laughs) yeah it was just a it was a car that could fly um it was uh so what does it say it was uh it's a unique design. Uh, it contained a hidden weaponry, uh, and its interior was included detailed images of an indicator and a map, as well as a steering wheel and other dials. And the convert the convertible would perform in uh, planet side combat as a land speeder. So it was just like. It was so funny because i remember like looking through stuff on like game facts and seeing like you can unlock a buick uh it's apparently it was a recurring easter egg in every road squadron game uh hmm. yeah it was just a it was a 1969 buick electra uh so that's th- stuck in the game and it was designated rudy's car hmm. so it was. It's so funny that, like, developers will, like, reuse a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. That is uh, funny.
2: I guess, like, uh, it's like thinking about how, like, FromSoft loves patches.
1: Yeah. Patches manages to show up
2: every game, even as a spider. You he think he's going to show up in, like, uh, Armored Core? <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny. Yeah, just Armored Core 6. There's patches just somewhere.
1: Do you remember... This is like a, a deep memory that I just realized I had as you were talking about um, like reading in magazines to find out about like the, the Buick showing up. Yeah. There was a long time in which it was rumored that Sonic and Tails were in Super Smash Bros. Melee. Huh, I, I, I don't remember that one. I, I don't remember where I saw it, but I distinctly remember when I was younger i was visiting one of my friends uh house i think and we were playing um melee and and they pulled out you know it wasn't like game informer it was some weird magazine that i don't remember Mm. um but it had like a you know a fake picture basically of sonic and tails in the game oh i remember like the longest time you know like going on the early internet to try and figure out like how do i unlock these characters (laughs) like i saw the picture i want sonic um you know and later when when uh, Brawl came out and actually had Sonic in it. I was like, oh my gosh, Nintendo was listening. Uh, I,
2: I just remember the trailer for Snake being in that. I yeah. just, I love like going back to talking about Metal Gear Solid is his taunts that you could do, and he would, it would be him on the codec talking to the corporal about like random video game characters. Yeah. So it's a very good thing that he came back for Ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. Uh, Snake is a, uh, Snake's a lot of fun. Um.
1: One of my favorite things, just, you know, since we're back on Kojima for a second. Yeah. um, This is, again, right? This is something that I'm like, is this an Easter egg? Is this just like, you know, a a quick little nod to one of Kojima's own fascinations outside of his games? Um, A bit of a nerdier one, perhaps. But Kojima is a huge reader of a... um, Dutch theorist from the 20th century named Johan Huizinga. Uh
0: huh.
1: Um, Huizinga, and I think I actually have a copy of the book. I'm looking at it right now. He's got this book from 1950, I think, called um, Homo Ludens, a study of the play element in culture. Yeah. Very important text as far as the study of games is concerned and the relevance of games to human society. Oh well that's so much so that uh, kinda cool. (laughs) Uh, So much so that a lot of contemporary video game studies people still kind of um, call back to Hoisinga in terms of how he's conceptualizing play. Anyway. If the name Ludens sounds familiar at all, it's because Kojima puts it almost everywhere he can in his games, Death Stranding especially. Um, yeah. there is a mask that you can get in game that is called the Ludens mask. Um, Kojima Studios' their um, mascot is that um, the astronaut with like the skull face. You may have seen it, like yeah. you know, watching a game. Uh, the name of that astronaut is Ludens. Um, if you go on his website and if you read the mission statement for Kojima Productions, it's full of almost direct quotes from this Hoisinga uh, book. And it's it's so funny for me as somebody who you know dabbles a little bit in in philosophy and in reading kind of um, the history of I don't know theory in from a humanities perspective that Kojima is actually so well versed in a lot of these things that he's dropping references that somebody like me in particular would see. Yeah, Um, there are more overt ones. You know, there are emails in. Death Stranding literally talking about like you know Freudian psychoanalysis, um, but yeah. the the Heisinger ones tend to be a little bit more obscure, um, and that's that's funny for me. I love that Kojima does that.
2: So yeah, I know like uh, in the near games, there's the names of a lot of philosophers as some of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so funny. Yeah, just uh, the, the the guy. What's what's the director's name for the near games? I can't remember his name. Uh, he's such a weird. Oh, it's, it's, is it That's not... Because Yoshi P is the Final Fantasy XIV guy. Yeah,
1: uh Yoko Taro. Yoko
2: Taro, yeah. That guy, that guy's so strange. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he puts a lot of
1: philosophers' names in his games, so... Yeah, it, it's interesting. I haven't... I've played um, Automata, Automata. Yeah, I've played uh, that one. I haven't really engaged in the literature on it, so mm-hmm. I don't know, like, if somebody's actually done kind of a breakdown of... Whether or not these the names of these philosophers are actually like it's meant to be kind of commentary on on what these characters represent ideologically, but I mean that would be something that I would be interested to look into and maybe report back on because that would be fun. Yeah.
2: All right, we're getting close to our time on here, so we're gonna start doing our wrapping up. But uh, yeah, so I'm trying
1: to remember if there was anything else. There actually, there's one oh. more thing that I want to say. One more thing. Yeah. What you got? Um, Call of Duty, Nazi Zombies Oh god it's... Easter Eggs Are, My... At what point do they stop being Easter Eggs? Because they're, yeah. they're always called Easter Eggs You know, I remember playing Black Ops 4 And every single new map coming out And, you know, going straight to YouTube and saying You know, uh, 9 Easter Eggs Step-by-step guide <laughs> that... and, that's yeah. Fine. Well it's it's just funny because again it's like certainly they started out easter eggs you know you go back to a world at war and right. things that you know clearly they're not the point of the game right the point of the game is just to survive as long as you can against the zombies but around about black ops 2 um it's almost like playing the zombies is not it's not about just surviving as long as you can anymore actually the point of playing each map is to do the the stories right because actually nazi zombies got a very very bizarre story kind of going into black ops 2 and 3 it's a good story it's a good story yeah Um, yeah, like it just stops being an easter egg at some point right
2: that like sort of reminds me of um how Bungie put the skulls in halo 2 yeah and then now they've kind of become like so synonymous with the, the 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 games for like difficulty reasons like at what point does these stop becoming easter eggs now
1: right at what point do they become actually just the point of the game as opposed to something that is in excess of the main part of the game you know Eh, that'd be uh, something for us to talk about in a future show yeah Uh, black ops has a ton of weird you know like mork being in in blops one yeah well cool
2: well um All right, so I guess uh, we'll talk a little bit like, our our plans for this right now, and quite literally, a sticky note on the fridge says we we just got to make it to episode five. (laughs) If we make it to five episodes, we're doing good. (laughs) We'll move that goalpost as we get there. Exactly. Um, But we're going to, yeah, we'll... uh, Pending. Everything goes good. Uh, We'll have an episode one out. Uh, We're going to be every month. Uh, Our next episode will actually be about video game history. We're going to talk about... uh, We're going to start in the the 40s and talk about some of the early video games. We'll probably get into a little bit of the, the debate between what was really the first video game and uh then uh yeah we'll alternate every other month we'll have like kind of a random episode like this we're talking about easter egg i think our second one will probably fall somewhere like in june uh which will kind of be around the release of street fighter 6 so we might have a fighting games episode i'd love that that'd be sick Uh, We can talk about Street Fighter and, like, its history or, like, just video games. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. We're we're making it up as we're going along. We're we're trying to get to episode five. We know we want to talk about history. (laughs)
1: Um, The the fighting game community, too, is just such an interesting microcosm. Uh, Oh, yeah. So many stories. So many things you can say about just random topics in, in fighting game history. So... Yeah,
2: um, so I guess for real quick, uh, so Michael, what games are you playing right now, or like what kind of games, videos, and literature you're reading?
1: Uh, I have been cripplingly addicted to Vampire Survivors recently. Yeah, uh, I, I guess it's a lot of fun. You know, it's so much fun, uh, and it's 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 terrible because I got into it expressly because I was like, I want to I want to get a game that I can. Play for thirty minutes or an hour, and I'll feel satisfied by it. And then I end up losing six hours of my life to this game. Yeah. Um, More recently, you know, I've been playing Marvel Snap. Um, As have I. (laughs) Yeah. And just working on stuff for school. I'm I'm currently in the middle of my prelims process, and so I'm writing a bunch of papers about um, video games as an object of study, but then also kind of what my methodological approach to studying video games as texts uh, is. Are um and then also i'm currently working on a paper um that i intend to present at a conference this friday on uh dungeons and dragons actually ooh, that'll be Um, fun which is cool you know like i think i think tabletop gaming unfortunately gets overlooked i think yeah by by the gaming community as far as thinking about it in this way like i don't see a lot of people theorizing about tabletop games. And yeah that's harder because it's, you know, it's harder to approach them as um singular texts in the same way that you would just play a video game. Uh yeah. And I think I've got it written for like
2: some of our like roadmap ideas is that like at some point we will have an episode where we talk about like D D's influence on video oh, yeah. games
1: uh um, i've been replaying colossal cave adventure because i need to get to the end yeah that's fair well cool well yeah uh, i
2: i'm the same I've, I've been playing a lot of marvel snap uh i recently because i got a new graphics card finally have gone back into playing uh cyberpunk 2077 uh it's just like oh my god i can play this game at 60 frames per second uh yeah. i've been it's playing the game. And I've been playing uh, The Legend of Zelda Minish Cap because Nintendo just put the whole Game Boy collection and that's the only Zelda game I haven't played. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, Gaming Historian and preparation for all this, which is a great YouTube channel. And uh, soon, hopefully pending not all of the uh, terrible stuff that's come out about it, uh, the new GDC conferences should be dropping soon. Oh, yeah. Even though apparently there's been reports of... Some misdoings at this year's GDC. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was particularly interested in the fact that the, the development team from Rumbleverse were actually going to present at GDC. <laughs> so rest in peace, Rumbleverse.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, I guess outside of that, uh, we'll do our plugs and then we'll wrap this up. So, Michael, where can the people find you online?
1: Um, right now, I'm on Twitter uh-huh uh, i think it's at mackerel prawns is what my my because it's supposed to sound like my name so uh, okay handle. Oh, cool um literally just the fish mackerel and then prawns the <laughs> not the not fish the other aquatic animals
2: gotcha um so yeah I mean, uh, It's Michael, uh, my co-host. I am Jeremy. You can find me on twitch.tv slash backwards hero where sometimes I stream games. Our Blood Bowl season just started, so we might be streaming that or Demio. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as PressArtF4. And, of course, you can find me on the main host of, uh, as one of the hosts of Cajun Greatness, which you can find everywhere. Uh, Also, a shout-out to our editor who helps us out from the shadows. Uh, He makes this episode sound great. Uh, and then uh, not to mention all of the AYCH stuff that helps us out as well. They're the ones that are hosting the show. And we're very thankful that uh, we hope there's not too many bugs. I mean, features in this episode, uh, you can find them on A-Y-C-H, AYCH extra on SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify. You can find them on Twitter at AYCH podcast and AYCH extra. That's extra with no E and they have an Instagram as AYCH podcast. So yeah, uh, Thanks again for giving us your time. Hopefully, we make it out of early access. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we, we've, we've, we'll hopefully make enough money. And uh, so, you know, that uh, all the bugs will be worked out of the game. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back next month, hopefully, for our first history episode where we talk about the early days of video games. So, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, thanks for rambling on michael
1: yeah thanks for listening
2: yep y'all have a good night (laughs) good night